have just delivered my last will and testament to a lawyer. You might see my last name of Miles, and you might recognize it. If you've been watching any of the news, you would see my name and realize that I'm the son of Arthur Miles, a man who was recently mistakenly released from a Pennsylvania state penitentiary. He was missing for a month and then found dead on the side of the interstate with two gunshot wounds to his head. The story's been the center of just about every news broadcast for days and days. Speculation is that there's a possible killer on the loose, but I know that couldn't be any farther from the truth. That story broke about a month ago. At the end of winter is when they found him. I can say that my father and I never had any kind of a relationship, honestly. He went to prison when I was only 13 years old. Before his incarceration and later life sentence, my father was just in and out of my life. A few prison stints here and there, a time in a psychiatric hospital, and numerous trips to alcohol rehab kept him away from me and my family a lot of times. My mother was forced to raise me by herself, and she struggled, and she struggled a lot. A few years after my father went to prison, my mother finally had given in to demons that had been following her for most of her life. She just up and disappeared. She left very little evidence of any kind of clues or any idea or direction of where she was going. The police gave me absolutely no reassurance uh, that she was safe or even if she was alive for that matter. I thought she had might committed suicide or something. Being only 13, I couldn't understand what drove her to leave her only son. It was at that time I was uh, sent to live with a cousin of my mother's a few streets over on Rosemont Street, house 455. To live? Live's a term I really knew nothing about. I was just merely surviving. The years I spent with their family were absolute hell. Being poor and abandoned, I was extremely depressed and angry most of my teenage years. We stayed in an a very old Victorian-style home just outside downtown in the really old suburbs. The house had probably been built 90 to 100 years ago when I lived there. I'm not sure of the age of it now, but every floorboard creaked. The windows were noisy and drafty when the wind blew. Looking back, it's a wonder that the house was still standing. It was in such poor repair from the outside, you wouldn't even know people were living in it. I left that house on my 18th birthday. I set out to try to locate my mother, but after many years of searching, I never found a shred of evidence that she was even alive still. But I was convinced that she was out there somewhere. After leaving, I made my home in a small town on the Ohio-Virginia border. For years, I searched old newspapers for records, and then I began to look in obituaries looking for her name. I'd given up all hope of ever finding out what had happened to her. When I got a call one day, saying my father's body had been found, since I had no siblings and a missing mother, I was the next of kin. I should mention that my father was in prison this last time serving a life sentence for robbery and for murder. After my father's second or third stint in prison, he developed a pretty intense narcotics habit. I later found out that he'd robbed and murdered several people for money, or medications, or just anything he'd get hands on to get a fix. 
But my father had somehow, some way, found his way out of the penitentiary system. He would often go by another name. My name. He used my name. Jameson. I fear that no one knew his actual true identity. So when it came time for him to make an escape, he began to then use his own name. And the system overlooked this error and just released him on good behavior. I really don't understand how this could have happened. Unbeknownst to me, while I was searching many years for my mother, my father had been using my name. And then I returned to Westport shortly after my father's body had been found. That's when some very strange things began to happen. Westport was where I had grown up, and I had no living relatives in the city, I had no friends, I really had no one to talk to. I'd been staying at a cheap dive motel for about two weeks, working out the details of what should happen to his body when I decided to take a drive over to my old childhood home on Rosemont Street. The house, it still stood, but barely. From the street, it appeared no one had lived in the home for over 10 years. Boards were over the windows and doors, and the front porch that I sat on and looked at the stars every night had caved in. Nearly every window was broken, and there were weeds up to my knees in the front yard. The big oak tree in the front in the front yard, yeah, it was quite overgrown, and fallen branches littered the yard. It was a very eerie sight, and a lot of the terrible memories I wished to have forgotten came flooding back. I didn't even get out of my car. I was, I was just too scared to get out. I drove to the end of the street, got back on the highway, and headed back towards my motel when my phone rang. It's from a very strange and odd number. The ten digits on the screen were nothing but zeros. I didn't answer. I thought it was maybe a robocall or one of those telemarketers. Maybe it was just a wrong number. Hell, if another reporter had called looking for comments on my father's death, I might have just thrown my phone into the river. I continued to drive. I was maybe a mile from my hotel when I saw a small diner with a sign out front. The sign had several broken neon lights. I didn't recognize this diner. I'd never seen it before. It, it was like I was seeing it for the very first time. I grew up in this city. I'd, I'd never seen this diner before. Surely I'd ridden my bike past it when I was younger. I don't know. But what caught my eye was the name of the diner. It was called Families. The name alone seemed inviting. and You know, I'd actually been hungry for the first time in many weeks. I was only eating to either pass the time or cure the sickness I felt from dealing with my father's death and in the memories and just dealing with the past. So I pulled in, I got out of my car, and I walked in. There were only two or three other people in the diner, if you don't count the waiter and the cook. 11 p.m. on a, on a Tuesday night, I'm surprised there were even that many people there. I sat down and looked at the menu. As I was looking over the menu, the, not the waitress, but this woman walked up to where I was sitting and asked me if I was from around here. Not looking up from the menu, I, I answered quickly with, yes, I grew up in Westport. I used to live on Rosemont Street. 
I then looked up from the menu and seen her face. A face that looked somehow familiar, but having no family or relatives living within a hundred miles of here, I'm sure I looked with a very puzzled look. Without even saying a word, I realized that I, I was I was looking into my mother's eyes. But she looked just as I remembered her, like she hadn't aged a single day. Still in shock and awe of who I was seeing, looking back at me, I, I broke down into tears. It was, in fact, my mother. I, I got up and immediately and hugged her. I was in shock. It took everything in me to speak. All I could muster was, where did you go? I was, I was so young. Do you know I've been looking for you? She didn't have anything to say other than she asked if I knew of my father's death, to which I replied, yes. It was actually the reason I was back in Westport. We talked for what seemed like only five minutes. She asked me to wait for her. She needed to get her, her coat or something. She left me at the booth. So hungry, I then looked at the menu for a split second in hopes to find something to eat. I looked back up to find that she disappeared once again. I was anxious and, quite frankly, I was sad. Just as quickly as I'd accidentally found her, she was gone again with no explanation. For years, I wondered what it had been like to talk to her again. I'm no detective, but I really did look hard. But a public school handyman doesn't exactly have the skills to find someone that may not want to be found. Was I imagining this? It's unbelievable that she was literally under my nose in this small diner. And she looked just as she did the day she left. I think maybe she was 36 or 7 years old when she left. By now she would have been over 50. She would have shown some age, I would have thought. Being too upset and physically distraught to eat, I got up from the table and, and just went back to my car. I drove to my hotel trying to make sense of what I just experienced. I tell you, my soul was hurting. While sitting on the bed, I looked at my phone and remembered that I had a call earlier that never had left me a voicemail. I put my phone to my ear and listened to the voicemail, but what I heard on the phone next, I won't ever forget. It was a Pennsylvania State Patrol officer. He'd found an old car miles outside of town, and it was registered to uh, Lucille Miles. Lucille, or Lucy as people called her, was my mom. And I guess somehow the system my name had been attached to the registration. But I'd never given my mother a phone number or, or any way of contacting me. I thought it was strange also that a number of nothing but zeros was contacting me. I couldn't call the caller back. You know, it was just a series of zeros. The voicemail message was short and said, we've found your mother's car and we're gonna be impounding it. If you want to retrieve it or bring her to get it out of impound, do so the next morning. And they hung up. Now, I could not have slept later that night. After hours of tossing and turning, I went back out and got my car and I drove toward my childhood home once again. This time, I parked in front of the home and turned off my car and what I found inside was absolutely terrifying. The front door had been previously locked and boards had been placed across it so that vagrants wouldn't be able to get inside and squat. 
boards were broke off. The damn door about fell off its hinges when I pushed it open. Just a few steps inside the door, I was hit with a terrible foul stench. It was something I'd never smelled before. Maybe a cat or a bird had found its way inside and died. It made my stomach churn. Covered my nose with my shirt sleeve, and I walked around the home. It was then that I walked into the kitchen and seen what appeared to be a silhouette of a person standing at the back door. Before I could process what I was seeing, the silhouette was gone. I took two steps and nearly tripped over the body of a woman in the middle of the floor. I looked for a split second at the face of the woman. It was a familiar face. It was my mother, but instead of a younger face I'd seen earlier, I seen a weathered face with many years of stress, worry, and pain. Shocked and confused, I left the house. I immediately ran, fearing for my life. I got to my car, picked up the phone, and dialed 911. The police came and eventually took my mother away. I didn't get much of a good look, but I, I feared the shadowy figure that I'd seen at the back door was somehow responsible for her death. It was hard to tell at the time, but it looked like she'd been shot. I didn't notice it because of the large coat she was wearing, but she was shot once in the chest. There were many questions, questions surrounding her death. And having just talked to her hours prior for the first time in many years, I then found her dead. It was definitely apparent to me that the shadowy silhouette that I'd seen in the door was somehow responsible for her death. This being so closely related to my father's death, I don't know how in some way they may have been connected. How on earth did someone find both her and my father? This, this is just more than a strange coincidence. I worked with the local law enforcement to try to track down exactly what may have happened. Could have, who could have done it, who could have been there, but there was not one suspect to be named. The day after we sent her to be cremated, there was a knock on the door of my hotel room. It was a Pennsylvania State Patrol officer. His name was Officer Gordon. It was the same officer that had called me that one night stating that they found her car. Gordon was a tall and thin but built man with curly hair that pushed his hat up. His uniform looked worn it looks like he hadn't shaved in nearly a week. I found his appearance to be odd for an officer, but I didn't spend much time thinking about it. He was trying to get in touch with me. He said that he knew of my mother's passing and he was very sorry. I kind of shrugged it off and he said that he needed to find out where my mom's car was and uh, wanted to settle some business with me as to what should do, we should do with it. He said he would like it very much if I came down to the impound lot and take her car. Otherwise, it would be at auction at the end of the month. I had no use for a, a beat-up old Buick. I had a car of my own. What was I to do with another one? Frankly, I couldn't even afford to hold insurance in another vehicle or pay the registration. So I just told the officer to hold the keys and then send the car to auction. It was at that time that... He began to act very strangely. He began to ask many questions about who I was and where I was from and what I've been doing back in town. I answered the questions the best I could. He left, but I felt like he was unsatisfied. As the day went on, more and more things began to happen. 
I was in my room and there was a knock on my door. Frightened, I got up and looked outside and found nothing. I went back in. This happened again three more times. I, I thought it was just neighborhood kids playing you know, a, a prank on me. I came back to the bed and, and I found I'd missed yet another phone call. But again, it was from the same number of nothing but zeros. I was perplexed. I began to become very paranoid and anxious of, of who this actually was. I doubt Gordon would have been calling me in the middle of the night. It was very late. It was then I received a text message from that same number, and it only had the address of my old home on Rosemont Street. To say that I was shaken to my core with this mysterious text message would be an understatement. I called 911 and reported it, but they were less than helpful. They said they, they couldn't trace the phone, and they didn't have any idea why someone would be sending me a message with my old address. I was frustrated. I went back to bed at my hotel. I tried to sleep, but my mind continued to race with paranoia, and it would grow with each minute. I fell asleep somewhere probably after 4.30 in the morning. I woke up, and I walked into the lobby where I, of the hotel where I found a middle-aged man, thick glasses, thinning hair, and a fat, chubby face. I began to tell him of the night, and I had mysterious knocks on my door, and if he knew anything of any mischievous kids in the area knocking on doors and then running away. He said nothing like that had been happening. He then said that I looked ill and that I hadn't slept. He recognized my name from the news and asked me why I was here and what I was doing. I, I replied with, I don't know what to do. I don't know why I continue to stay in fact. At this point, I'm fearful for my life. I don't know what direction I'm heading. I don't know what to do. He then slipped me a card. It was a holistic medicine doctor or practitioner down the road. It was only a few blocks away. And he said that he'd had some hard times too. He recommended going and talk to them and see what they may be able to do for me. Having no appointments with the police or anything really since my parents' arrangements had been carried out, I decided to give it a shot. Reluctantly, I walked down the street, and I did find the address. The whole time, I felt like I was being watched. I thought it was sleep deprivation catching up with me. I walked inside to the waiting room and found it to be completely empty. I walked up to the window and looked around. I didn't see anyone. Not a soul in the building but me. I began yelling for someone. If there's anybody that's here... To I, uh, I need some help. I need help with something. It was at that time I began to hear footsteps. I looked around the corner to find not a doctor or a nurse, but that state patrolman, Officer Gordon, walking toward me. Except this time he wasn't in uniform. He was wearing street clothes. He was wearing black coveralls and gloves and a hat. He was holding in his right hand a pistol put my hands up to show I wasn't armed and I was friendly but he continued to walk toward me saying nothing there was just a blank stare on his face he was getting closer closer he was close enough that if he wanted to he could have easily shot me I realized I was only three feet from the door I decided to make a run for it 
I ran down the street. I passed my own car. I found an alley. I hid behind an old washer and dryer that had been sitting outside for God knows how long. He'd either chose to not chase me or went the other way on the street. But after some time, I thought the coast was clear. I ran back to my car, got inside, and I just drove. I wanted to put as many miles between me and this town as I possibly could. I drove all day. I got to Philadelphia. When I was there, I stopped and reported what had happened to the police. They said they couldn't help. They recommended I call the police agency in the town and report to them first. I felt that would have been an unnecessarily uh, waste of time. Reluctantly, I picked up the phone and called the police station. The Westport Police Department did tell me that they, in fact, did have an Officer Gordon that used to work for him, but he'd since been fired. See, Gordon was the lead investigator on a crime that my father had committed. He investigated and ultimately found that Arthur Biles, my dad, was responsible for the death of a young woman. When he went to arrest Miles, he was at home and nowhere to be found. Gordon then returned to his own home after his shift and found that his front door had been broken in. All the lights were outside, off and inside of his home. He knew that his wife had been home all evening. He looked throughout the house and found her, and when he did, she was face down in a pool of blood. Purse contents were everywhere, all over the floor. Gordon knew who was responsible. The deputy I was on the phone with went on to tell me that Gordon spent the next five years looking for my father, and he did find him, and he put him away for good. Gordon went completely crazy after the fact. He was deemed unfit for duty, and instead of peacefully taking disability, he lashed out. I guess that was the last straw, and he was fired for being a menace. You can only wonder what those years were like when Dad was in prison. Gordon only wanted revenge, but Dad being in prison was satisfaction enough. But when my father got out, Gordon took the law into his own hands. He trekked my father down and shot him dead. And now I think because my father used my name in prison, Gordon had connected my name, Jameson, with my father, and he just wouldn't rest until he'd completely exterminated my family or anyone related to me. I think he's responsible for my mother's death. He'd somehow tracked her down as well as murdered her just prior to finding me. It's only coincidence that we met at the same time, or maybe he'd been following me too. For how long, I'll probably never know. I walked out of the police station, frustrated and exasperated with what I just learned. Across the street, there was a law office with a sign in the window that caught my eye. It said something to the effect of getting a will, or making a will, or making sure there's a record of who to leave your things to when you go. I had minimal early positions. I had a car. I had a savings account that would have maybe paid for nothing insignificant. But I felt the need to write this will and leave my possessions to someone. I didn't know who I would leave them to. I started talking with the paralegal to begin 
writing up the documents. So at that time I realized that this wouldn't be a document to leave my belongings to anyone. It would just merely be instructions as to what to do with my body if they were to find me dead under less than suspicious circumstances. My will was very short. It was only a few sentences long. The instructions read as follows. Take my body, have it cremated after my organs have been salvaged. I want to transport it back to Westport and lay to rest at 455 Rosemont Street under the porch. That's where I want my ashes to be laid. And I've just signed that document. I don't know what's coming next. I'm sitting in my car at the stoplight on 54th Street. It's almost 11 p.m. Across the street, I see a diner. It's not families, but it looks safe nonetheless. I figure this will be where I die. I didn't mention it before, but the whole time we've been talking, the state police officer Gordon has been following me. All day, I've been catching glimpses of him out of the corner of my eye. I was walking on the street, I seen him at the crosswalk. And when I was inside the lawyer's office, I received several text messages, all from the same number. I can see him. He's right behind me. I can see his dark eyes under a black hat. I'm sure that handgun is sitting in his passenger seat, too. My car is in park. All of a sudden, all the anxiety and worry I'd felt for the past two weeks suddenly leaves my body. I'm actually, for the first time, totally at peace. I know what's going to happen. I'm giving up running. I take a seat inside the diner. I don't bother looking at the menu. My, fo- my phone buzzes. It's another message from Gordon. A phone number with all zeros. A simple message verbatim to the 50 or 60 I'd received today. They all read 455 Rosemont Street. Thank you.